0: everybody, and welcome to ABM Mythbusting. So this is a podcast series that looks at account-based marketing and basically things that we see in the marketplace that are common practice but may not necessarily be best practice. So my name is Celeste Lunsford, and I have the pleasure of being Chief Research and Strategy Officer at Emissary. And what Emissary is is we're a human intelligence network. So we have thousands of tech buyers who had executive level positions in the Fortune 500. And what we do is we connect those executives to people like yourselves in the audience, so sellers and marketers. And that way they can share their insights and provide some coaching. So you can get into your target accounts, close deals, accelerate opportunities, and expand the relationships that you have there. And I'm pleased to have one of those emissaries with me today, Sarah Nunez. Sarah has a decade of experience as a director of enterprise-wide PMOs for global high-tech organizations. Welcome, Sarah.
1: Hi, Celestia. Thank you so much
0: for having me over. Thanks for joining me. So the myth that Sarah and I are going to be picking apart today is is an oldie but a goodie. So basically the the common phrase is, you know what, if it ain't budgeted, it ain't happening. And the context behind that is that there is, you know, the conventional wisdoms, there's a right time and a wrong time to market to a client, a right time and a wrong time to sell, depending on what their fiscal year might be. So growing up in sales, what I was taught is you look at a client's fiscal year and you figure out, You know, 90 days before the end of the year, they'll probably be finishing budget. So 30 days before that, you want to send them a case study. You kind of build this calendar all around this idea of fiscal year, because if your item, whatever you're selling, doesn't get built in as a line item to the budget, well, then you might be out for the entire year and have to try again what was interesting is we in the research side of emissaries surveyed a couple of hundred emissaries like Sarah, and we asked them to reflect upon the last major tech purchase they made. And when I say major, $250,000 U.S. or greater. So not necessarily, you know, huge, but enough that people would probably give some thought into it and pay attention. And what was interesting is it turned out one of the questions we asked was, hey, was this a line item in your budget or was it sort of an out-of-cycle funding? And a good many projects said, oh no, we funded it out of cycle. And in fact, it almost didn't matter. And I thought, well, that must just be very small things towards that, that lower end. But even the larger purchases, so about 30% of the purchases that were like a million, million and a half dollars, they said that they had funded out of cycle so that was surprising to us and definitely something that should be on the radar for those in the abm space so we brought sarah on to talk about it so now sarah you've been enterprise-wide pmo for a long time and i'm guessing you have funded hundreds zillions of projects so i'd love your buyer's point of view on those statistics yeah you know what
1: I, i i'm not surprised let me tell you a little bit about the role of a program management office Leader, okay. our role is to enable the organization to drive effective decisions. And when we talk effective decision, we're talking about planning first before we go and execute on projects, right? Right. And the last component will be to make sure that everything that we're doing, every investment that we put it into the pipeline, is giving you the return on investment. So, benefit realization is a big part of the enablers that we talk about. Right. So when, when you talk, when you tell me a little bit about, hey, here's what really happened is, do we have a miss here? If it's not budget, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. What is going on here? I'm telling you, it depends. And you know, this miss right. could be true for mm-hmm. many circumstances or may not. So right. let's, let's talk about those key points. When could not be true and when it can be true? I work for global organizations that are very mature, being 130 years in their life cycle, right? So for those organizations and large organizations, they usually follow a very structured planning process. And I'm, I have to tell you, it goes even before the budget process. If you really want to be in the game, you have to be part of the strategy planning session. That happened maybe six, nine months before the beginning of the next year. Right. So I really think that, hey, you will have a really great chance if you are part of the planning for that strategy. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're not anymore on, on the path of strategy planning happening every five years or maybe every three years. Strategy planning is happening constantly in organization right now because of the massive changes that we're going through. Right. Okay, so if you really want to be in the game, you have to be in the game even before the budget process. But, hey, a small, medium companies may not have that structure in place, and they're more into the growth and the opportunities of the moment, right? So you're going to see a little bit more flexibility on their budget process. Then, hey, a pandemic happened. We've never been in this situation for 100 years, right? Right, right. So what happened with your plans in 2020? They went out of the window, and now we are trying to to survive a situation where everybody had to work from home. You know, we had to survive in the market. Things are changing. We're all nervous as human beings. We're all freaking out. So changes happen, and those plans definitely, definitely. If you look at the data from McKinsey and a couple other studies that are being done right now, the number is really high you know, more than 60% of the investment had to be direct to something else. Right. Right. So other factors to consider is how rapidly technology is changing. And I may be working on a project that may take five years to develop or three years to develop. And I'm out of the sudden, my competition is using a better technology than I am. Guess what is going to happen? I need Yes. <laughs> so the, the big thing is changes. And then, A couple others, you know, that I can mention is the customer needs. You know, with the pandemic, it was clear that our customers, our consumers, and regardless of what kind of company you're working on, everybody was going through a major change in their life. And there were new needs that were created, right? So it is also important to consider that the customer is not going to wait a year and a half to be part of the strategy process of the budget process, right? They want it now, so um, the biggest factor that I think will influence on that change is the customer needs. When that need is unmet, obviously companies are going to be accelerating to make decisions and to bring new partners into the game to be able to meet the customer needs at that point. So, you know, I think those are the big critical things. Mm-hmm. And Celeste, so I want to mention at the end that, There is a a financial transformation process going on in companies as well. So we're going digital. We are in a digital area. Everybody's transforming. And their budget process is also becoming an ongoing or rolling up process more than once a year deal. With big data analytics, they can be able to be more predictable. They will be able to allocate funds and then be able to have them in a sandbox so they can pick and use the dollars at any given point. So let's not be so rigid to think that, hey, there is a budget process you have to be in the game eight months, six months. No, you've got to be a partner of that company all along because opportunities are always going to be there.
0: You know, that makes a, a lot of sense what you were saying about finance changing. You know, before the pandemic, there was, you know, everybody had moved to agile development and then they'd moved to agile product product management. And then it just sort of, you know, that kind of approach started to work its way all throughout the back office. So like you said, it's not, yes, there's structure, but it is not one and done, and it it's constantly fluid, you know, rapid, you know, tweaking, making iterations, all that good stuff and one of the things that another survey that we are just wrapping up now is one of the things that we did is we talked to people in your position last summer and then we talked to them again this summer and sort of compared the two and what was interesting is that people said you know listen in the beginning everybody freaked out right we just everybody had to move from home cut we had to figure out how to serve customers but now we're sort of you know we're not in freak out mode we're more in this let's change capability change readiness mode and we're not going to go back to the five-year planning cycles because it never made sense anyway, right? So it's how did we take, how did we learn from that, that freak out period just to become a lot more adaptable as an organization? The hard part, though, if you're in marketing and sales is at least when you had like a three-year plan, you had definite windows and definite messaging. So it also, if you're a vendor working with an organization or, you know, individual yourself, you just have to be a lot more on your toes and a lot more clued in and connected to your point about what are all the things that are going on that will ultimately find themselves in a plan or in a budget at some point. Mm -hmm. The other good news about that though, is that being the structure, you always felt like I had to get in the budget, but then there, the downside was was so so big, right? So if I didn't get in, then, I, then I'm frozen out. But based on what you're saying, that's just not the way things work anymore. So if your solution's not in the budget, all is not lost, mm-hmm. but you do have to do a little bit of catch up at this point because it sounds like there might be others that are well ahead of you in the planning process. So if I'm you know a marketer, I'm a seller, I'm trying to get in and get something funded out of like or trying to get someone's attention. How do I do that today? Okay, great
1: question, great question. So, I, as I mentioned before, the project management office. Our role is to drive decisions. We're right. managing the investments, and we're making sure that those investments are going to give a returning the return on what you're planning to get out of it the, the, there for the marketplace. So really the only way it, you know, changes happen in the budget is if priority change, right? Mm-hmm. So if my priority change as an organization, everybody's going to be focusing on what is the new big ass from the leaders, right? Right. So that will be one way of getting that attention is, Hey, if you, if you know that the priorities are shifting, then you're going to be part of that conversation in order to be there. The second thing I think I mentioned in my previous comments, but a uh, strategy and market situations and the customer needs, right? When you see that is happening, you're going to be more proactive. So you cannot wait until the customer gives you a call anymore. You're going to be part of it. You have to be a partner of that company. Guess what? You're going to need to do your own you know, R&D project, and you want to keep an eye on what is happening for my clients, you know, industry changes, market changes, customer needs, what is going on with big data being available, digital marketing, predictability, machine learning, and things that are happening that we didn't have before. You have access for information or insight that can help or influence the changes of those priorities or even the strategy of the company by your insight. So, I believe that in order for you to really call the attention for the leaders and to have an opportunity, you got to become an insider. You got to become a person who knows a lot of what's going on in my business and what's going on with my customers that can come over and bring me up to speed or, or give me more information, more insight for me to make the right decision. So, you got to be on the table.
0: Yeah, it's a really good point in terms of being an insider, but because I've provided insights, you talked about the, you know, the value and the perspective that I can add. And I think that's a much more proactive way to think about messaging and getting into an organization than just, hey, tell me what your needs are and I'll react to those needs. This is much more, hey, let me help you uncover what your needs are. Let me help you think about things maybe a little differently. Exactly,
1: exactly.
0: Exactly. Now, of course, the flip side. So the upside is, hey, if you're not in the budget, all's not lost. A lot of this stuff is very fluid. The downside is, well, what if I am in the budget? Like it used to be, once you were in the budget, you were you were golden. And it sounds like that also is fluid. So how do you, as a a seller who's maybe trying to cement a project, can maybe expand in other things, how do you keep the the ground you've gained, so to speak? Wow,
1: that's, you know, that's a challenge because, you know, what I had to, to say, if you become a partner of that organization and you're working with them and out of sudden we have a project and this project has to be cut, this project should not go forward, guess what? The benefit is for, is for both of you, if you are partners. In the sale buyer situation, obviously, hey, I, I sell already, I want my money and I want to walk away. If you have that attitude, by all means, you're going to have to take your losses. But I believe in partnership, and I believe that the new business model for vendors and buyers and sellers is really to be partners. And then if a project gets cut, it's a good thing because it's not going to give you a return on investment. It's not going to really give you what you were expecting. Therefore, you know, you should not fight it again or try to keep it forever, And you know, I think we should be more open minded to that agility. And you know, we talk about agility from the budget perspective, right? But there has to be an agility from the predictability of hey, am I gonna still have success for this? And if I do, again, we continue moving forward and we show the value. But if it's not, don't fight it. Don't fight it. Go go with the flow and really find the best opportunity to meet the customer needs.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really interesting point of view. And I think that's always one of the inherently challenging things about marketing and and sales in particular. Marketing can be a little bit more long-term focused. Sales sometimes is going to be quarterly focused based on how their success is judged. And so when you are in those sales and marketing roles, it's how do you basically like you do with any other investment, how, how do you hedge? And so, when we were looking into all of these deals that people had signed recently, we said, "Well, who are all the people that were on your your list right who who had a vote in the final say?" And the answer was about five and a half. but for bigger organizations, it was like eight different decision makers. Mm-hmm. and one of the things that you know is can be a a fault point is that um, marketing and sales can focus on one or two people because maybe they're the person who has the ultimate decision. Maybe they're the budget owner. They might be easy to identify. They might just be really open to working with a vendor. And when that happens, you get single threaded. So you have the relationship between you and that person based on their project. And if their project hits the cutting room floor, then you sort of start over again. Whereas if you approach it a little bit more in an ABM, we talk about it selling to an account as opposed to selling to a contact. So I look at the account and I say, Hey, there's, 20 different buying centers. And each of those buying centers, there's a dozen different people who influence this decision. And so I'm going to message as marketing to all of them. And in sales, I'm going to work with all of them individually to your point about providing those insights and creating those relationships. And then if one project is really not the right fit anymore, then that's okay because I have plenty of other opportunities and I can do the right thing, the mutual win for the partnership. And I may not, it's not just my relationship. I will have other people in my organization that will have relationships. So I'll I'll connect some of my engineers to some of your engineers. And so we have all of these connections now, and it makes it much easier to bear the loss of a project when to your point, it's the right thing because the strategy has changed.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but
0: that's a lot of groundwork, right? That's a lot of, that's a lot to build up to. And it can be hard if you're on the outside. So mm-hmm. if I don't, if I haven't been working with, especially the globals, I haven't been working with a global organization for a long time, just trying to get a foothold in there.
1: Yeah, and so let's say it's a mindset change. So we have to be very conscious of the fact of the, that reality. You mm-hmm. know, there is different cultures that we need to deal with. hmm when we talk about organizations, right? So it's the organizational culture itself that sometimes may prevent us to really go and transform and do things in a different manner. And it will take time for us to get there. And sometimes it's like working and trying to move mountains. But hey, we know that when there is a need, there is something that is about to happen. So I think if we focus on the need, we create opportunities together, we continue influencing on that mindset that say, Hey, we are partner. We can create opportunities together rather than let's focus on make sure that this contract, you know, this project goes forward, regardless of success, because it's on their core jar. No, you are partner. And if there is a failure, it's a failure for both. So you want to make sure that there is success in the pipeline. And we made the right shift at the right time to to seek for that success. And success for me is meeting the customer needs. Customers
0: in the center of everything we do. You know, it's interesting you bring up culture. When, again, we were asking people, you know, tell us about what you bought. One of the questions that we asked was, how much different is the solution you selected versus number two? We asked a whole bunch of questions to get to that. But what was interesting is about, you know, 20% of the time or so, it was maybe like one in five. They said, you know, the solution I picked It was, it was just the best. It was perfect for my needs. It met all my requirements. It was, and it was very different than the competitors, right? So it was just, it was a slam dunk. It was obvious who to pick, but, you know, three quarters, you know, maybe even 80% of the time they said, nah, the solution pretty much, they all look the same. But what made the difference is what you were just talking about is if I could see in the messaging for marketing, or I could see from the salespeople that they were committed to a relationship, that they could navigate my organization, that they could fit with my culture. Those were the things that that made the difference because mm-hmm. the products themselves anymore really weren't that different in most people's minds. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I like that. I like that. And
1: you know what? It help a lot in the execution side. So when you kind of can come over and work with the team and, you know, the way that we operate and you feel like, okay, you're part of us and you are one of us, and instead of, you know, you and I, you know, I think you it, it work much better
0: we're much better in execution is, is better. Mm-hmm. Now, I bet as a lot of people are listening to this, they're thinking, but I'm already doing that, aren't I? And, you know, cause we've been telling, you know as sellers and marketers, we've, you know we changed our approach. We hope a long time ago to say we're trying to build those relationships, but I think part of the problem is as much as in a sales and marketing role, we're trying to be more strategic. We're trying to be more consultative. We're trying to become, you know, a, more of an insider. To your point, the bar for what that is really keeps going up. Right, it's harder and harder to impress. So when sellers are trying, to, you know, thinking from your role as, you know, a past PMO executive, like what did you? value from vendors that you partnership, like how did the best impress you and stand above the rest?
1: Yeah, I, I, will, I will give you three points here that I always think about when, when I'm selecting a vendor. The first one is I want to select the vendor that are leaders in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. They can bring best in class, in their area in their area of expertise right so they are the best of the best and i know they're the best of the best because they care for the customer right so they become that partner that i'm looking for the second component is when i pick the best of the best i know my execution is going to be flawless, mm-hmm. and uh, we're going to deliver on the promise regardless, regardless of the cost you know so i think. I really care for people that come over and work with the organization and they feel that they are so engaged. They want to fast and we want to deliver what we promise the leaders and what we promise our customer with the best we can. The resources are knowledgeable and are very responsible. They always there when we need them. And you know when Morphe brings challenges, Mm -hmm. they always with us to solve them. Right. I've been in a war room at three, two o'clock in the morning with the vendors on the line, trying to solve for a major issue as we're trying to go live. And I have to tell you that moment when you look at the clock, it says 2 a.m., I should be sleeping and they should be sleeping. And we're all together here to deliver. That is amazing. That's amazing to see that we are all together no matter what. And last and no least, is that they always keep me or keep the organization. Up to speed on what's going on in the marketplace. And they're very honest. They bring that, those insights that I was talking about. And, you know, they really care about us making the right decision that they will bring insights, even if it, it will introduce risk on their own side. So those the vendors are the one that I categorize as my partners. If I succeed, we succeed together. If I fail, we fail together.
0: Now, that's really interesting. So tell me more about, like, when you say risk. So what would be an example of that, or or how should I be thinking of that as a marketer or a seller?
1: Yeah, you know, if there is a, a huge technology shift, I remember when the cloud came into effect and we all thinking about servers and, you know, databases sure. and things like that. And then you're working with vendors that their infrastructure were all... What we needed on the server side, and you know, keeping that in house, and when the new concept of cloud computing came over, I remember one of the vendors, you know, challenged us: "This the future of you know, what are we building here, and what's going to happen with the cloud come?" And and then we, if we not don't take the opportunity of looking about the opportunity with the cloud, and they were not ready to really implement the cloud in their own solution. So I thought that they took a huge risk to say, hey, let's let's reevaluate the system architecture here and see if we're really going to be deploying this solution in alignment with how rapidly we are introducing cloud computing, which could bring better opportunities for the company as a whole. So I think when, when he brought that topic, I was like, wow, that was transformational for me. And at the same time, that presented a risk for himself. Yeah. yeah. You know, so... That that is what I'm talking about. Being partners, like, hey, you bring inside valuable insight that help in making the right decision together. And you know, by definition, there is a loyalty there because we recognize that, hey, you know, you definitely want to deliver the best for the customers, and we want you in my team. And yeah, how can you? How can we deliver that? What will what will take you to get ready to really take that component in consideration? It's an example. But you know, and now with digital transformation, rapid process automation and everything happening, there's great solutions coming into the marketplace that are like, wow, you may be selling something that is already archived, but are you willing to take the risk and say, you know, we have to transform our old product because we need to align with what is best in class out there and then bring this company to that path and what it will take us together to do that. Is it emerging an acquisition with somebody else who's doing this and together we can make it happen? What other way of doing it? So I think, you know, sometimes by taking the risk, you, you bring more opportunity. Because if you grow with the company, you're also going to be having more companies in your side looking for you because you are best in class and you have the best
0: technology. So, Sarah, one of the things that and it strikes me about that is it's, there's a credibility and a, a tone to that, right? You have to have earned the right so I can come to you and say, Hey, I think you guys are doing something wrong and you viewing that as that's valuable. That's good to know versus, you know, another one of these podcasts that that we're doing in this series, we were talking about how prospecting emails just sometimes they just put people, they break rapport because they say things like, Hey, you know, I know something about your company that you don't know. And the person on the other like, yeah, no, you don't. Right. So there's something to someone who's built that relationship and that has that confidence in the relationship, that they're willing to put it at risk a little bit, that I would notice that too in a seller or marketing. That's a good balance.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, the the point is we got to become partners, right? And there are many changes, external changes that are pushing us to think differently and to challenge the status quo. So I will encourage everyone, you know, to think about a different way of doing things because we are in a different era. And we have to be challenged to do things differently, to always support, or to always drive that customer satisfaction that we're looking for.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting to use the word partner, because I think that's one of those terms that everybody overuses, like they're, you know, like marketing, and I've been guilty of this. We'll go through a presentation, we'll delete where it says vendor, and then we'll replace it all with partner. But (laughs) what you're talking about is not just replacing the word vendor with partner.
1: Yeah, or maybe so. Hey, yeah, do you really want to be selling something or do you want to become part of that outcome solution that you need to drive? And you know what? Honestly, Celeste, even the business model I'm thinking about is that, you know, do we have to think about creative ways of creating a business model that will benefit us as partners rather than vendors and buyers? Right. So I'm thinking that we should all be transforming to a new way of meeting that customer needs, whatever it is. So I I really challenge that for the audience. Let's think about different ways to bring value to those organizations who need your product because we are supporting our customers.
0: And the bar for that's higher than it used to be. Yeah. Well, Sarah, thank you so much for helping us kind of pick apart that myth today. And so, you know, as I reflect on our conversation, where we started is, you know, the old adage, if, you know, it isn't budgeted, it isn't happening. And I think we fairly debunked that one in the sense of just a lot of things are being funded out of cycle. And some of that is where we landed with the pandemic and people needing to scrap business plans and create new ones very rapidly, but also really accelerating that change of of financial planning, of strategy planning, becoming a lot more fluid, as opposed to these long-term, more rigid plans. And so there is never a time when something is off the table or, or unbudgeted, right? So you should always be managing your relationship in terms of value. And that gives you some some security in the sense of, hey, it's not lost if I'm not in the budget. I still have a relationship. There's still ways to provide value. But you also lose some security in the sense of just because I'm in the budget, got my project funded, doesn't mean that it's it's secure, right? So it's it's a much bigger pictured kind of thing. And there were a couple of, of words that you used throughout to talk about what that looks like. And one was becoming an insider, right? So it's I need to understand your world as well as you do. I need to understand your culture. I need to work with you and being that insider. And the other word that you used was was partner. And I'd probably even modify that to say like a brave partner. So someone who can come in and give you insights and give you thought leadership and give you perspective and think about different ways to work together and to, to raise issues that might even be an issue for both of you. And if I'm thinking back to, you know, as a, You know, an ABM marketer and the messaging I'm putting into an organization or as a seller, the relationships I'm building, those are, those are different kinds of messages. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So thank you for shining a buyer point of view on that. I always think it's so helpful to hear from someone who's actually funded a bunch of these projects to hear how they think about things. And for those of you who are listening, uh, don't forget to check out the other podcasts in this series where we took about some other common practices that may in fact not be best practices. And feel free to reach out to us at emissary.io if you'd like to leverage Sarah or any of the other emissary advisors in our network to help your teams connect and be able to work more closely and partner and be those insiders with your accounts. Thanks and have a great day. You've been listening to the Flip My Funnel podcast. To make sure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you have an iPhone, we'd love for you to open the Apple Podcasts app and leave a review. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.